What is the Buddhist view on artificial intelligence? The answer will terrify you. And then we take a look at the story of a man known as Philip Taylor Kramer. He went from being a bassist for the band Iron Butterfly to working on top-secret missile systems for the U.S. government. But the real mystery began when he died. Was it a tragic case of suicide or a cover-up to steal the most important invention in human history? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. we got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. In comes a giant bucket of food. <laughs> a giant bucket of food, it's a trough. But what's in this trough is what's important. It's one of our live stream supporters. In this trough of food, this is the most unflattering introduction ever. You're slop. You're slop, I tell you. It's chime chili, you know, because chili... Is food, right? Chime Chili rises out of the trough of food and begins walking towards us. Chime, thank you so much for your live stream donation. It was actually Thanksgiving of 2019. I don't even know if you still listen to the show. Hopefully you're still alive. But Chime Chili, either way, you are our pilot, our captain this episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show. So sorry it took so long to get around to it, Chime Chili, but you are the supporter for today. So I'm going to toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to toss them into your chili-soaked hands. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Tibet. Chime Chili is flying us out to Tibet. Specifically, we're going to the home of the Dalai Lama. I found this article just today. It's really creepy. Really creepy article. I found this interview. I found it on Alamut.com. The interview is actually from a book called Gentle Bridges, Conversations with the Dalai Lama on the Sciences of Mind. By Jeremy Hayward. It was published in 1992. And it's just an interview with the Dalai Lama on a bunch of stuff. Sciences of the mind. If you can believe it, the title is actually accurate. So this interview starts off. And again, it's a snippet. We don't have the full interview here. But the question that's being led into is, what is artificial intelligence? What is artificial intelligence to Buddhism? Specifically, the Buddhism idea of reincarnation. So that's kind of the setup that's going on. So the interview actually starts this snippet that we're seeing. I don't know how many times I'm going to use the word snippet. The Dalai Lama asks to clarify. He goes, what are computers made out of? They're made out of like plastic and metal and things like that, right? And the interviewer, the interviewer goes, yes, they are made out of like natural components. Plastic is a natural component. It's made from petroleum. So here is the Dalai Lama's first answer when he's talking about artificial intelligence. It's very fascinating. He says, quote, it is very difficult to say that it's not a living being talking about the computer. It's very difficult to say that it's not a living being, that it doesn't have cognition, even from a Buddhist point of view. So the computer itself can in some way be considered a living thing because it can think. You can't say that it doesn't have cognition because that's what it's built to do is to think. The interviewer then says, well, the thing with artificial intelligence is that it's a new intelligence that's being created. So how does that work into the Buddhist philosophy that you could actually create a new intelligence here we have another quote from him quote there is no possibility for a new cognition which has no relationship to a previous continuum to arise at all so he's saying right there every consciousness that exists now existed at the beginning of time they can't be obliterated they can't be birthed 
There is no such thing as a new cognition. Everything that is thinking now was thinking at the beginning of time and will think until infinity goes on. So you can't have artificial intelligence is what he's saying. But it's not that cut and dry. He's not saying quit quit programming Quake 5, guys. He goes on to say, I can't totally rule out the possibility that if all the external conditions and the karmic action were there, a stream of consciousness might actually enter into a computer. The interview then basically says, so you're saying that someone could be reincarnated into a computer. If you had, the example they used, if you had a very like powerful Buddhist monk who was trying to project his consciousness into, his, into a computer before he passed away, that his consciousness could enter the computer. Is that possible? And the Dalai Lama said, yes. Basically, the Dalai Lama says, if the computer has the physical ability to hold a human consciousness, yes, it is possible. You don't have to worry about that pocket. You don't have to worry about being trapped in a calculator, in a solar power calculator for the rest of your life. But if a computer has the physical makeup or, quote, the ability to serve as a basis for a continuum of consciousness, unquote, yes, it is possible. He does say this is something that we will have to see what happens, but you can't have and you can't program an artificial intelligence. You can program something to mimic a human, but the second it is intelligence, that is a reincarnated person. You can't create consciousness. It has existed since the beginning of time. It has been Lichen trapped in the middle of a meteorite. It has been a sand frog of Remus 12. It has been a young boy playing t-ball. It's been you. It goes back to being the sand frog. And then just throughout reality, and then eventually when they develop that robot, and they turn it on, and they spend all this time trying to replicate a human brain, and it actually has consciousness, that is a living consciousness in that system. You cannot create consciousness. Consciousness was created when the universe was created. It's a fascinating question. I could literally dive into this with so many different levels, which I'm going to, because this is a podcast where we do this stuff. First off, you have to look at the time period, 1992. I don't even think sneakers came out. The shoes were real, but like the hackers movies. The average person didn't know what a computer was at that time. They knew that it was a box that people used to do work on. But as far as like the internet wasn't around or it wasn't in popular use, it was a totally different ballgame. So if you talk to people, computers seemed more mundane and magical at the same time. What? I can hold all my spreadsheets and this one thing can hold 512 megabytes? This is amazing. But you also just used it for work and to do spreadsheets and maybe play Snake. It'd be interesting to see his point of view. And, and AI was light years away back then. It's still pretty far away now, but it seems to be closer. So we have that. We have the technological thing. I think nowadays, based on this, we cannot program AI, but I think we have computers powerful enough that could hold a human consciousness. Now you go, Jason, you know, the brain is like this super advanced computer and we don't have chips that are that advanced. Fair. You couldn't replicate a human consciousness 100%, but remember the idea of consciousness in the Buddhist tradition is a life force. It's not necessarily being able to make these decisions. The Sand Frogs of Romulus 12, you could put that on a hard drive. <laughs> that creature I just made up. That's my argument. You can't argue with it because I made it up. You may not be able to use human consciousness. Maybe I shouldn't use that word. A human intelligence on a computer right now, but you could definitely. The brain, the processing power of a computer 
I would argue, is much more powerful than a lot of animals. Don't look that up. Don't look that up unless I'm right. And then look it up and put it in the comments. Jason was right. So you have that. So the technology is there. But what's terrifying about this is that the Dalai Lama is basically saying that, yes, you can be reincarnated into a computer. But computers don't die. If you're reincarnated into a tree, you have a life cycle. If you're reincarnated into a rock, it has a life cycle. If you're reincarnated into a metal, into an ore, it has a life cycle. Even if that life cycle is it being churned out of the earth, sitting on a beach for 10,000 years, and eventually as the plates of the earth shift and move, the chunk of iron falls into a chasm and is compressed and pushed and morphed and melded, and it's over 10 million years makes its way back down to the earth's core and melts and becomes something different. Don't look that up either, guys. This is not a science podcast for a reason. But you know what I mean? Everything has a life cycle. It wears down. Computers don't. And you go, Jason, if the Earth can swallow up a a chunk of iron, I think it can do the same thing to my Macintosh. But it's different because the iron is a single component. A a computer is like its hard drive, which, okay, okay. (laughs) now I'm thinking about it. I would much rather be a computer hard than a chunk of iron. Because a chunk of iron, you're going to be hanging out for a while. You're not going to be able to do anything. My point is, okay, forget the chunk of iron. That was <laughs> that was a bad example. Edit that out in your brain because I'm too lazy to do it myself on the podcast. If you had your choice between being a mighty Redwood or a computer hard drive, what would you rather be? You may want to be a computer hard drive because then like you're like surfing the internet. So you're literally surfing the internet, little digital you. But the tree can watch the sunrise and the sunset. I don't even like the outdoors. But still, I'd be a tree. You know, owls would be hanging out on me, and I'd be, like, dropping sap on campers and going, <laughs> and they're like, I'm allergic to sap. I know, I'm a tree. And I am doing all this stuff. I'm doing all these hijinks. The computer hard drive is going to end up in a dump somewhere. First off, it's going to get, you don't know whose hard drive you're on. You could be full of porn. It could be the worst existence ever. And you're like, great. Why did, I have to, why did I have to jump into this hard drive? Or it could be some bunch of spreadsheets and things like that. And then you just get tossed in the garbage. And then you're just this shut-off hard drive. You're trapped in a hard drive of a voided existence. And it, you don't die when they shut it off. You're the hard drive. You're the information on the hard drive. The hard drive would need to be obliterated for you to go into your next life. So it's horrible. No one wants to be reincarnated as a computer. I don't think a computer nerd, if they thought about it for a second, would want to become a hard drive. So that's creepy, but then we even have this creepy thing. What if you get reincarnated as NPCs in video games? Like, what if all those NPCs you're running over in your, with your car in Grand Theft Auto V, or, like, those chickens you're selling on Stardew Valley and things like that? What if those are actually dead people? What if those are, what if those are reincarnated people as chickens in Stardew Valley? And people you're running over with your car. I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions. Ask the Dalai Lama. I just find it really interesting. And I think the way he approached it was like, oh, yeah, you can be reincarnated as a computer. And I don't think he had any idea of how just chaotic and filthy and dark computers were going to be. I'd rather be reincarnated than a lot of stuff. Than some random computer sitting on a shelf at a Best Buy. And just so worried. So... So worried every time someone came by to buy me. I'm like, no, no, not you, not you. And you just, it's, a, it's, 
You just don't know where you're going to end up. I think he was actually talking about... I think he was probably thinking more like advanced, deep blue computers that are playing chess against Russians or, you know, like androids. But imagine, like, imagine if you died right now and then you blink and the next thing you know, 50 years have passed and you're in some bimbo sex robot. And you can't move. Well, you can when the guy's moving your arms and stuff like that and you're just like propped up in this dude's apartment. And your entire existence is just you propped up in this dude's apartment. And he's like, he's cleaning you off. He's like, I'm never going to get rid of you. I'm going to keep you for as long as possible. And he's doing drugs. He's doing a bunch of drugs to make himself live forever. He's taking beta blockers. He's like, me and you are going to have so much fun. That wouldn't be fun, right? I mean, even if you're into the, even if you're like, Jason, that's my favorite fantasy. Still, okay, fair. But you're just sitting in the corner of a room. You don't even get to do stuff. You're just a robot. You're like, Jason, that's my fantasy. Okay, okay. Maybe you are into that. But I think most of us wouldn't want to be reincarnated as some, like, sex toy sitting in an empty box. I don't, I don't think the Dalai Lama was talking about anything electronic. But it's just uh, this. It's just uh, the idea from this one interview that I read. From this one thing I read on the internet today. I probably could have done more research on. I go, oh no, don't die, guys, don't die. You may be reincarnated as a dildo. I don't know. I don't, if it's super advanced, it may not. I'm not trying to disrespect Buddhism or Dalai Lama, but if it is advanced enough, if the technology can actually hold a consciousness and there's no such thing as new consciousness, that means that what is in that AI robot is actually a human or potentially a human or was a human or all of those things combined. Super spooky. According to what I'm looking at, that went on for a long time, but I'm not just going to do a robot sex special. I don't have time to tell the butterfly story, though, the iron butterfly story. It's a really interesting one. Tressa recommended it, but we're going to have to save that chime, chili. Let's hop in the carpenter copter. I'm going to find another story to do real quick here. Let's take a look, see what we got. Something spooky, maybe. Okay, so here we go. I found one that's short and interesting and actually has some terrifying implications for us as fans of the paranormal and the world of the weird. Chime Chili, let's go ahead and hop in that carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Tibet. We are headed out to Vladivostok, Russia. But we're not going to be wearing our winter gear that we normally have to wear every time we go to Russia. We've been doing a lot of stories in Siberia lately. We're actually going to the beach. So I hope you guys brought your swim trunks and your little tank tops that have the black and white stripes on them. It's old-timey. It's actually not old-timey. It's 1989. But we're going retro. We all got giant mustaches and we got strongman clothes on. Chime Chili, go ahead and land us at this beach. do 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 we all get out, we're throwing a beach ball around. And while we're having fun, <laughs> we should be paying attention to the story. We see another group of people there. It's a beach, it's a public beach, right? We're not running them off, it's fine. There's another group of people there, and they see this is super convoluted. Here's the <laughs> here's the story. I, I take the beach ball, everyone sits down, I go, okay, let me just tell you the story. This episode's already running long, I think. Can't really tell. But anyways, there's a group of people on the beach that's not us. There's a group of people on the beach. They see another group of people on the beach. That other group of people on the beach, they look like a bunch of weirdos. So there's 12 normal people on the beach. 
And they're looking at a group of a bunch of freaks. What they describe them as circus freak dorks is actually the term they use, which is pretty hilarious. Circus freak dorks. They're staring at them. They're trying to like, what's up with those dorks? I wonder if they have lunch money. Billy, you've been graduated from high school forever. I know, but I still want lunch money. You own you own a restaurant. You don't need lunch money. But still, they approach this group of circus freak dorks. And as they get closer to them, they realize neither of those three words apply. Well, maybe freaks. Because what they're really looking at are gray aliens. What's interesting, they described these guys not just as dorks, but as, quote, repugnant. It's an interesting word because if you saw an alien life form, we share DNA, we hate, we, nobody likes spiders, some, some people do, but spiders are gross, slugs and snails are gross, but what is a banana but a hard slug? And we eat those, and what is... Cracker Jacks. What is Cracker Jacks but a brown spider? It's the size of a spider, and when you kill a spider and they curl up, and then if you painted it brown, I bet you anything, anything, I could trick you into eating it. What I'm saying is that even the disgusting stuff on Earth, we can see parallels to us, and maybe we don't want spiders around us because we know that they can hurt us. But, you know, if you saw a bunch of ants walking around, whatever, you're not going to pay them any mind. And most spiders, as long as they're far away from you, walking down the street, catching a cab, catching a cab, you're totally fine with them. But an alien, something that actually evolved on another planet, would be disgusting to us. We, we would go into shock seeing them. That's just the fact of the matter. It would, it's not like Star Trek we wouldn't be able to process it. Human beings can barely process paranormal events from Earth, like ghosts. Like, you can look down a hallway and get a creepy sensation. You don't realize you're actually looking at a child with no eyes standing at the end of your hallway. That's what you're seeing. But your brain won't let you perceive it. So you see an empty hallway. You just get a little bit of a shiver. When you're walking up the stairs and you feel like something's at the bottom of the stairs... Sometimes it's just your imagination, but sometimes there's something at the bottom of the stairs. But when you glance back down, you don't see anything there. You're relieved. Because if your brain let you see what you actually saw, which was the old man with the pitchfork at the bottom of your stairs, you would lose your mind. Your brain... <laughs> Good night, kids! I'm glad, you guys, I'm glad you guys enjoyed this episode. You'd lose your mind. So your brain actually will shut down when you're seeing stuff that you can't comprehend. We've talked about that a couple times on the show. We talked about it last week as well. With an alien, it's a physical being. You can't ignore it. Although some people do. Some people, their minds will shut off and they're like, I don't remember what happened. But they would be absolutely disgusting to us. Now, you could say like the Pleiadians, the Nordics, maybe they're like star seeds and stuff like that. Fine. But if you actually saw a reptilian, it would, it would nauseate you. It's not a flickering image of Obama giving a speech on CNN. That's not a reptilian. It's artifacts and digital. Because if it was an actual reptilian, it's not like the show V. It's not like anything else that has reptilians in it. It's not King Koopa. It would make you sick to your stomach. So when you come across stories, again, I always like this, the outliers, the outliers, when we look at these stories, it gives it a little more flavor to it because that's what would happen. If you, if you were sitting, if you looked up right now and you saw a gray alien sitting in your kitchen, you'd get nauseous. So the fact that they say that it was repugnant really makes the story more believable than a lot of stories that, I, that come across because we're going to need a little bit of believability for where we're going on this one. So that's the end of that encounter. 
but it's not the end of the story. There is a group known as uh, Vafuon. I tried looking them up. It's some sort of UFO organization. I got this story from thinkaboutitdocs.com. They've been really good to us in the past. Haven't come across anything knowingly fraudulent. And they'll actually call stuff out as fraudulent. So I really trust that website. But uh, there was a person who worked for Vafuon. uh, V-A-U-F-O-N. But anyways, there was a person with that organization called Alexander Rempel. And they wanted to... (laughs) Okay. And as I'm looking at my notes, they didn't describe them as dorks. I hate to break the flow here, but they didn't describe them as dorks. I don't know why, why I wrote that. They described them as circus freak dwarfs, which, which makes more sense, right? I, I couldn't understand why they called them a bunch of dorks, a bunch of nerds, but they were circus freak dwarfs. And as they got closer to them, they realized they were... Um, hairless and had gray skin and lipless mouths and big eyes and things like that. So they didn't use the term gray alien. They used, they were describing them because in 1989, Russia, again, that wasn't a super well-known term. We've covered a lot of Russian stories, but they'll be like, they'll describe the features of a gray, but the word gray is not used in the original story. They also weren't dorks. Okay. It wasn't casting for revenge of the nerds, nerds in space. Copyright. Don't, don't steal my idea. Circus Freak Dwarves. But anyways, Alexander Rempel and the Vafuan group wanted to see more about this story. They wanted to interview these 12 people who had had this encounter on the beach. It was a public setting, and you had these dorks. Yeah, I'm just going to keep calling them dorks. You had these dorks walking around. Seven years later, when Vafuan was looking at these people, so now we're in the year 1996, this is what they find out. They tracked down the 12 witnesses. Three of the witnesses had been killed in car accidents, apparently separate car accidents. Five of them had been diagnosed with brain tumors. Two of them had already had surgery for their brain tumors. Two others were located in a mental hospital, and the remaining two were never found. Now, it could just be that those remaining two moved on with their lives and, you know, friends separate and Soviet unions collapsing. You <laughs> know, they're not really keeping good paperwork on where people are moving to at the time. But they could have also met a bizarre end. Three are dead. Two are missing. The other seven have had a string of bad luck. Not saying that's good luck, but you have five people who have brain tumors and two in mental hospitals. This is an interesting story because of the implications of it. Let's put on our conspiracy caps here for a second. And let's take a look at this phenomenon that we call UFOs. The question always is, how come there's not more? If it's a real phenomenon, how come they're not flying over Los Angeles? How come they haven't made their presence known? How come it's always some hick farmer in the middle of nowhere who sees them? Those are all stereotypes. There have been sightings over major cities. There's been stories of them making contact with governments. And it's definitely not always the drunk hick driving home. We've covered literally hundreds of stories on this show that are not that trope. So that's not the case. But that's that's kind of the, the stereotype of it. It's not like telling a ghost story. People don't really laugh at you when you tell a ghost story. Some some people might, but UFOs are still considered a funny topic. What, did you get probed? You know, So people aren't telling the fact that they're seeing UFOs. I think a lot of people see UFOs and have more than just the light. I'm not Again, I'm not talking about lights in the sky. I see that all the time. I've seen weird things in the sky, flying metal cubes and stuff like that. I don't know what it is. I don't think it's aliens. 
I'm talking about like closer encounters, second, third, fourth encounters. What if these are happening all the time and people aren't talking about them and then these people get a car accident and die? These people develop a brain tumor. Seven years later, you develop a brain tumor. You develop some sort of cancer. And you don't even think about that time that you woke up in bed, you're reading a book, and you fell asleep, and you left the light on. When you woke up, the light was off, but there was something glowing at the foot of your bed. You don't even make the connection eight, nine, ten years later when you're going to the doctor and they're like, "Uh, yeah, we know what the lump is. You don't even make that connection. What if this happens all the time? I'm not saying everyone who develops some sort of disease or everyone gets in a car accident has been visited by aliens. But just statistically, some of them were. I think that's how statistics work, right? What if this is more common than we think? What if this is the one story, and to be fair, we've covered, again, hundreds of stories where this isn't the ending, where people have an alien visitation and then they live 20, 30, 40 years after the visitation and they're like, someday my space brothers will come back. We've covered stories like that before. But what if those are the outliers? And because those stories are around for so long, we're still hearing about Betty and Barney Hill and all this stuff for so long after the event that those are the outliers. We're not thinking about Aunt June, who never told anyone that one night she was driving home, she saw a craft come over her vehicle, and the next thing she knows, she was two miles down the road, and two hours had passed, and she never told anyone about that. And then ten months later, she died suddenly. How many times is that happening? Again, I'm not saying every sudden death is accountable to UFOs or aliens, but Does that happen more often than we think? Is there a correlation more often than we think? And if so, could this be the reason, conspiracy caps fully on, why aliens are not disclosed to citizens? People go, yeah, I believe in aliens. They're probably on other planets or so far away. Wouldn't bother me. If it turns out tomorrow that the government was detecting radio waves from other planets, alien radio waves, People would be totally weirded out, but you'd get over it. If it turns out that for the past 50 years, the governments of the world had been talking to aliens and they'd been interfering with human affairs and they wanted us to clean up our environment and get rid of nuclear weapons, people would be more upset. They'd be upset that we weren't told the truth from the beginning. You'd have a whole group of people who would be like, not on my planet. I'd be one of those guys, honestly. I'd be setting setting UFOs on fire. You'd have a whole group of people who would who would hate that the aliens were there to interfere in human politics. Maybe we do want to pollute the planet. Maybe we do want our nuclear weapons. You'd have all that stuff, but and people would be super weirded out. But you would understand it in the. It'd be like a new Cold War. You'd have alliances drawn up, and you'd have all this stuff. But people would understand it because that mimics what we know on Earth. It would take longer because people would be upset again at the secrecy and that someone's trying to tell us what to do. But they could say in the future, you're going to be floating around on spaceships. You just have to do this stuff first. But if it turns out that aliens have been here for a long, long, long time, the governments have known about it. They haven't told us anything. There's 20 different alien races. They all have completely different agendas. There is no space brotherhood. They come here to look at us the same way we go to a zoo to examine animals. And not only that, but there is some bizarre mechanism that when you encounter these 
beans, you have, for lack of a better term, bad luck. Them being here interferes with our normal lifespan. When you encounter these guys randomly, your life will be shorter for the most part. Again, there's outliers. We can't negotiate with them. They all want different things. They view us as tiny. They don't really want us to evolve. They just like to come down and take our soil and every so often have a hybrid baby. And if you run into them, things aren't going to turn out well. There's no federation in the future. How do you think the world would respond to that? It would be seen less as an alien government and more of a natural disaster. You can't negotiate with an earthquake. You can't negotiate with cancer or COVID. It simply exists. And you hope that it doesn't come and interfere with your life. But when it does, you have to prepare yourself for it. To fight it or to accept it. I don't know what the mechanism is. I can't say it's the aliens come down and they cause some sort of radiation sickness. You could say the brain tumors for that. And the two people who went insane for that. But people going missing, people dying in car accidents, what if the alien encounter is so alien to our reality, it actually throws off our fate, our timeline, where we were supposed to be, the triggers pulled a little earlier. And again, I'm not trying, this is conspiracy cap fully on, I'm not trying to say that everyone who dies of a disease or everyone who has bad luck has encountered one of these aliens. I'm not trying to minimize that at all. I'm just saying I find it very interesting that we have this one story, and I'm extrapolating from that. We have this one story where we have 12 witnesses, and all of them, 100% of them, suffered ill effects. And extrapolating that out, we know of all the times people have told us about UFO sightings, and they tend to be okay, except for the people being taken aboard ships and forced hybrids and things like that, which is awful. The after effects, sometimes they're a little not right in the head because of the experience. But for the most part, the stories that we hear have generally have happy endings. But those are the stories we hear. What about the tens of thousands of stories that people experience, never tell anyone because they're ashamed to tell people, and they meet a tragic or unlucky end? And they don't put two and two together. No one even thinks about two and two together because they don't know about the story in the first place. And that's the real reason why we don't know that aliens exist. Because if we knew that aliens exist, and we knew what they actually were, they're harbingers of chaos. They're not an enemy fleet that we can destroy with our weapons, that we can combine together as one race and destroy these alien invaders. They're not space brothers to enlighten us so we can search the stars with them. They're not even, like I described, just the alien observers who sit up there quietly and watch mankind. Just by them coming into our environment, they throw things off. Just like even the most careful observer of the tigers of Africa is stepping on anthills, squishing bugs when he sits down to take notes. We may not be the future allies of the aliens. We may not be the future enemies of the aliens. We may not be the future conquerors of the aliens or the slaves of the aliens. We may simply be humans in a universe of aliens. And the universe belongs to the aliens. We are the outliers. We are the thing that is wrong in the system of time and space. We are like 
pond scum in a pool. And when they come here, it's like dropping water into that pool. But not even just water, they're dropping in pool cleaner. They may not even be doing it intentionally. These dorks were just hanging out on a beach. And these 12 people suffered tragedy simply because they saw them. I can't define the mechanism. There may not be a mechanism. This is a conspiracy podcast, and we're going with the story and taking it out. This may just be a one-story thing that is fun to explore the further consequences of. But if this story is any indication of humans' relationship with aliens, the governments of the world will never admit they exist. Because to admit they exist is to admit that humans are powerless. It's one thing to know there's a bear in the woods, and if the village works together, they can slay the bear. It's another thing to know that there is a volcano growing underneath the village that will not only wipe out that settlement, but will take out the entire continent. If you knew there was no chance of survival, would you tell the people there was the problem? Or would you just deny it until the problem swallowed you all? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.